This week, Z Prime on the Grid is brought to you by iTron. iTron Utility Week is coming up starting Sunday, September 30th at the Fairmont Princess in Scottsdale, Arizona. You're going to be able to hear from thought leaders across the energy industry. Aaron and I are going to be there uh, recording a podcast on Monday the 1st, so feel free to stop by and say hi. There's still time to register. For more information, go to itron.com. And now, on with the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Z Prime on the Grid, our show about issues concerning the energy industry. I'm your host, Dylan Lockwood. Joining me, as always, is Aaron Hardick, research analyst. How are you doing today, Aaron? I'm doing really well, Dylan. How are you? Doing good. I uh, just got back in from Austin, hanging out with hanging out with you guys. I'm um, lucky that I made it in because it was dumping rain, but we found a quick gap to sneak in and get out of there. We have a very special guest today. We have the Deputy Chief Operating Officer for Smart and Sustainable Communities in the great city of San Diego, David Graham. How are you doing today, David? Fabulous, Dylan. It is a beautiful San Diego day. What's a beautiful San Diego day like? Are, are you in that part of California where it's like a million degrees, or is it, or is it just downright pleasant all the time? So my office overlooks the uh, bay, the newer ballpark, and it is that perfect 70 degrees in San Diego. A little bit of cloud cover, but uh, we'll see that burn off pretty soon here. Why are you hiring? (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Talented people. We always like to find talented people. So you're going to be speaking at ITRON Utility Week coming up, right? What are you going to be talking about? Very, very excited about that. What what will you be discussing there? So I have the real fortunate opportunity of getting to do work with uh, a lot of cities around the country and some in Canada. Um, And one of the things in the last two years I've become really interested in is how uh, electric utilities and cities can work together to advance smart community priorities. And so I'll be talking about that great intersection where the customers of utilities are also the residents of cities and how cities and utilities can work closer together to have major impact in the communities and build the metropolitan areas of the future. We'll also talk about people and how uh, people are really what is powering the smart revolution. We talk about the whiz-bang technology and the fascinating new, uh, new cool But without uh, people and the transformation um, in our organizations, we're never going to take advantage of all the cool new tech that's on the horizon. Yeah, uh, you you said to me earlier that new technology is really cool, but what people and relationships bring about innovation. What did you mean by that? Well, everything that has uh, been created comes back to human ingenuity and inventiveness. And uh, you never invent just in a box, right? It's all about finding challenges and, and problems and solutions and working to, to address those. Um, if you look at the vast array of technology, of sensors, of communications networks, of uh, the connectivity that we see just through our mobile phones, we're in an unprecedented era of the ability to uh, connect and understand our world. But if we can't work together between um, our various departments, our agencies, uh, the federal, state, and local government, our utilities, um, then we're not going to be able to have the maximum impact and and do the good 
that people really expect us to be able to do. Uh, and, and that's why I think about the idea that people talk about silo busting, right? Oh, well, we need to bust the silos between our agencies and departments. And God, you bust a silo and all you got is a mess. Instead, I think about the fact that we need to create uh, windows, doors, and doormats between our various silos so that we can work together to do uh, really impactful things in our communities. David, you said something that I think is interesting and it shouldn't go overlooked, and, and that was that you travel pretty often and you partner with other cities and communities. Why is it important you know, for you and your team to get out there and try to understand what other communities are doing? Because like you said, innovation, it's collaborative. Some cities may be a little more innovative t- than others, and they may be driving, you know, what really is next for our communities in terms of relationships between our electric communities and our customers. So why is it important for you guys to get out there and see what other people are doing? So I believe you have to collaborate to compete. I love uh, working with friends of mine in places like Kansas City and Louisville, uh, people in huge cities like Chicago and New York, um, other cities you'd think kind of would more likely align with San Diego up our, our West Coast, so Seattle and Portland. And and what you find is that many of the same challenges that they're facing in their neighborhoods are the same ones we face too. And if we can come up with not just best practices, but real-world examples of technology deployments or of process changes that have had impact in one neighborhood, uh, it can it can have real impact not just uh, in your region or in your state, but across the entire country. I think about the the fact that having worked for a couple of mayors and worked at the county private sector as well, that anytime there's a new and innovative idea, the first reaction from leadership is usually, well, tell me the 10 other cities that have already done this and how are you going to limit risk and what are the best practices and what's the academic research that says that this innovative idea is going to be uh, going to work? Well, that that doesn't really uh, get you to the place of pushing the bleeding edge of innovation. You have to be able to take some risks. But when we can do that collectively as cities that have experienced, tested, and tried out things across our multiple cities and can provide learning, then it allows us to more quickly scale solutions. It also allows us to avoid the pitfalls and and landmines that may have plagued a previous deployment. You do have to be careful, right, though, because not always the same strategy, the same strategy isn't always um, applicable to every city, right? So you don't go, would you say it's fair that you don't go somewhere and say, we're going to do exactly this? Is it more so you go to different places and you see what's working in certain areas and then you kind of start to piece together what you think is going to work for you guys? Is Would you say that's how it works? Uh, I would say, um, I think I get asked, you know, what is the one smart city project that every city should do? And my retort is, what are the top three challenges that you have? You know, Kansas City is using data to, based upon weather to predict um, where potholes may may be and do some predictive deployments there. To be honest, major weather events like that here uh, in San Diego, not going to be applicable. But the same data analytics that they're using, we can use things for like fire prevention or for tracking traffic congestion management. A lot of the same technology has applicability, but you have to see what your major challenges are that you want to address first, rather than just um, replicating what somebody else has done. 
Are you seeing any of, um, you know, kind of a struggle to recognize that maybe that that specific solution doesn't have to do, like you said, it doesn't have to locate potholes, but it does have maybe in another applicable, uh, it can be applicable in, a, in another way. Are, are cities, you know, thinking about how to use these kind of different solutions in creative ways? Are you seeing that happen? And, and if so, is that really being driven you know, on, on the city level, are you seeing that being driven within the utilities or is it really, you know, an effort that's being pushed out together? So I think about one commonality amongst every city that I know, and it's the ability to leverage the awesome power of grumpy people. So people that complain are in every city, they're in every service territory for utility. They are uh, the one unifying factor throughout our entire country, if not throughout the entire globe. So if you think about that and the fact that you can use uh, uh, technology, connect to uh, people and have them become the eyes and ears of your city to help identify problems, prioritize issues, and solve them, then you've been able to tap into something that just about every city in the country should be able to use. We've done that through our Get It Done application, where if you see an abandoned vehicle, an out street light, a pothole in the road, you take a snapshot on the app that's on your cell phone, it immediately routes to the department, and the department goes out there, solves the problem, sends you a big thumbs up that they got your your problem done. Imagine what it would take in predictive deployment of crews roving around the city to get that same sort of responsiveness. It's finding some of the fundamental human condition issues and questions and needs and then saying, how can we use technology to address that? How can a city be more responsive to those needs? And how can we build a system that thinks about the resident first and solving those problems. I think sometimes it can go the other direction though as well. I mean, we're talking about the relationships between, you know, between the cities, uh, you know, the cities, the utilities and the, and the customers or the constituents, and then also the city's relationships, you know, with, with each other and how, you know, everyone's learning from everyone else. But I, I'm wondering what, what about those situations where, uh, the goals are are misaligned. I remember um, speaking with one gentleman from a from a small town in uh, in my home state of Washington. He he worked for the city there, and he was lamenting about his uh, about the city's failure to be able to install be able to install AMI meters because the people just the people just really didn't want them. But he, he felt that because uh, so they weren't. So they ended up like kicking the project down the road for for a while. Um, and there was a lot of misinformation going out about what the meters actually did. But but because of that, he felt that they that their city was going to be was going to be lagging behind when it came to innovation. Uh, so what do you, what do you, what would you say to people who to cities who are kind of in, in that place where they're learning from other cities from other people around the country about how to innovate? but their goals are misaligned with their constituents' goals. And this is why you have to put people first. So rather than break your nose on something you think is really good for people, but they don't want it, kind of like eating broccoli if you hate broccoli, yeah, you know it's good for you. My wife right now is uh, drinking celery juice 
in the mornings because for health reasons and to to lose weight. It's absolutely awful for her. Uh, doesn't enjoy it. I know that I'm not going to drink that celery juice no matter what the health benefits are. Sometimes I think that uh, our leadership in the public or quasi-public uh, agencies uh, approach problems based upon what is good for our residents and customers as opposed to a real robust civic engagement approach to uh, understand what their needs are and work uh, directly with them to try to address those. And what you'll find is if there is a good, uh, credible relationship with those neighborhoods, with those people, and you're identifying target issues. So let's take, for example, your Washington example, where, sure, people may have been concerned about radios being connected up to their meters or the fact that their rates may go up. But if you can tap into the things that perhaps those residents care about, okay, we care about um, uh, conservation. We care about a sustainable uh, energy grid. We care about um, being charged accurately for our electricity. And you tie that in, you tap into the things that they want and need, oftentimes you'll find that you'll be able to be much more successful in major uh, initiatives, even costly ones, if you take the time to understand um, genuinely what the neighborhoods need. And oftentimes you'll find tweaks to your deployment um, that can bring on board more people than otherwise would have been interested. When we were doing our smart streetlight network, we held a block party for streetlights that was just anybody walking by. I didn't think it'd be particularly successful. 300 people showed up to tell us what they thought a smart streetlight could do for them. And a lot of the learning that came out of that and the engagement has led to our successful deployment. Dylan, what, what David's talking about is actually something that we covered at our event, uh, Start at ETS, on, on Wednesday of this week, earlier this week, um, and our in the Z-Prime research presentation that was put on by Shay Fabaday. He started talking about, you know, to understand who your customers are, you really have to start to move away from, you know, what it a traditional demographic in the way you look at your customers and start to think about how do I start to realize what my customers want in a different way? And Shay is referring to it now as what is a taste profile. So do you care about sustainability more than you do low cost? You know, it, you have to start to think about how to engage these people in a different way than you have before and then account for their preferences in the services that you provide them. And that is a big step and a big change for a lot of utilities in and of itself. And that's the holistic approach to what a what your customer is. And we need to, as, as agencies, think about this jointly, right? Rarely does, does the city get a love letter from our constituents I think utilities are kind of in the same place because people expect the lights to go on and off. What you usually get are angry calls when that doesn't happen. We're all in the same boat in providing services to these folks. And so if we better understand their wants and needs and we can demonstrate that we're working together jointly to do things that create uh, a more resilient, more sustainable, more efficient future, it's incredible how that can change the view of uh, of utilities and of cities when you're bringing these things together as being good for the community. 
just think about the work that's done around grid hardening, right, and microgrids, major investments happening there. Well, if you're paying your electric bill and you see your rates go up, grid hardening is probably not the thing that's going to sell somebody and get them excited about the investments that the utility are putting in. But when you tell them that this will lead to uh, fewer uh, outages, faster recovery, more safety in the case of, of attacks, um, now you're beginning to, to tap into the things that people really care about. And when that ties into the fact that public safety will be able to roll, um, that your neighborhoods will be safer, you know, a mayor or a city council, they're going to care about something like that. And something like grid hardening all of a sudden becomes something that the whole community should get around. Do, do you think, and actually I think, uh, I think you both might have an, an interesting perspective on this, but do you think that, uh, that people in energy or, or, or cities often underestimate customers, like what, like the amount of engagement they actually want when it comes to when it comes to energy or when it comes to smart cities and the amount that they know or the amount that they expect to know? Well, we know some from some interesting Silver Springs research in the last couple of years that uh, that like two-thirds of people um, are posit- have a positive reaction to smart cities and about that many, a little less, want to live in a smart community or smart city. And that's across all age demographics. Obviously, younger demographics, the numbers are much higher. And so there's a level of engagement that I think has been underestimated. Think about this. Now, I'm in San Diego, so I never really thought that connecting my cell phone to my thermostat would be something that I'd buy. But you have Nest, which was in just a few years, grew huge, and then was sold to Google for like $3.6 billion on a simple concept that is the first steps of a a smart house. Um, I I do think that sometimes we underestimate the need and desire uh, of the connectivity of people with their communities and um, their sort of imprint or profile in their neighborhoods and if we can tap into those things that they care about and help create the more connected and convenient city, I think you're going to see um, a, a lot greater, um, I think a lot greater affinity for what the public sector is doing for them. And Aaron, on the other side of it, not just not just with smart cities, do you feel like when people talk about customer expectations? Do you feel like customers uh, are maybe not being taken for granted? It's not really the right word, but do you think that customers actually are more interested in energy than than people tend to give them credit for? Not just like the prosumer angle, but also like the want you know wants their wants their power to be on, wants their bill to go down, and is interested in things like conservation or efficiency, um, either on a either on principle or just from an economic standpoint. But they're not like you know, they're, they're not what, what, you, what you might label a prosumer. But do you think that that, that customer is being uh, undervalued? So I don't think it's fair to say that it's being undervalued. We've actually done, um, you know, a recent study over whether or not utilities feel like they understand their customers' preferences and what they really want. And they do feel like they are growing in in that understanding. I think where the big challenge is, is how do you start to really take that into account 
can create a, ser- a, a profit generating service around it. And that's really the key word is because utilities do need to make money. There's a lot of things that are disrupting their traditional revenue model right now. And while they want to expand and engage with customers more, at the end of the day, they do have to keep making money um, to keep the lights on. So it's more so, in my opinion, in the stage of, okay, we're getting this information. We have this information that we know can be really useful. How do we put it to work in a way that is going to improve customer satisfaction, increase reliability, um, decrease you know the cost passed on to customers, and continue to dr- generate us revenue? So, yeah, I don't think it's fair to say that they they don't recognize and they don't they they aren't. Um, I don't want to say that they don't recognize the the urgency to start to change. It's really just figuring out what is the right way to move forward. Because when utilities start to move forward with a strategy, that strategy is probably going to be locked in for 5, 10, 15 years. So they really have to be careful about and think critically about, you know, how they're going to start to execute on these new programs and services that they provide the community because once they commit to it um, it's a lot it's pretty hard to start to change um, the way that strategy is going and and being executed and I think that really is where the problem is but we're seeing you know some cities start to move forward with these strategies around smart cities and they're they're kind they're working the pieces of them are working and as these bigger cities start to find their way see what works, then other cities will start to to follow behind and we'll see these, you know, approaches that are unique within, you know, each city and area, but will have consistency in some way. So I think the problem is, um, you know, how do you start to move forward with what you're, with the changes that you're seeing and recognizing? And let's not forget that that momentum, that juggernaut power, I mean, we're talking about, the companies, or at least their lineage, that electrified the entire United States of America. The greatest engineering feat, according to the National Academy of Engineers, of the 20th century. So if aligned and move in the right direction, this next illumination, if you will, of America and aligning these priorities between utilities and cities and really bringing the best uh, in class to those, and I understand the regulatory structures and prohibitions there, but look at look at what's happening with the electrification of transportation. I mean, the transportation sector is now the largest sector in GHG uh, impacts, um, superseding the energy sector now. Electrification of transportation can have this one of the single greatest impacts on not just that, but setting the stage for movement to autonomous vehicles to other types of transportation and mobility options. So this ability and the juggernaut power of utilities to make long-term impactful change has been proven before, and my hope is that we'll see it again. Yeah, and I think that uh, it kind of goes back to what you were what we were talking about at the very beginning in that uh, it's not just, you know, it's not just about adopting adopting the new technology and just seeing how people react it's about having the having that relationship uh with 
with your consumers and your constituents in your city so that you can and making sure that your goals are your goals are aligned so that you're providing the experience and the customer journey and all those things all those things we like to talk about and we're like well how how do we go about doing this well it's it seems like it's about it's about listening it's about communication and it's about uh just making sure making sure that you that everyone that everyone knows what they want and the step and the steps to get there and thinking beyond the your balance sheet and i mean that both for cities and utilities and our other partners what do i mean by that well in 2003 and 2007 there were massive wildfires in san diego that um ended up causing significant impacts to the uh to the energy grid or at least the energy grid was responsible for parts of that so stgne had issues with liability they smartly uh, basically did a sensing network and a lot of upgrades and improvements to understand weather systems, created a meteorological department inside of the utility so that they could reduce their liability so that they also could um, more quickly react um, when their infrastructure may be down or susceptible to creating a, a fire. Now, it could have ended just there where they did great things to hopefully prevent a fire, but instead they went one step further and pushed that information out on a open data website that has great visualizations and began partnering with our state fire agency and with the city and regional fire entities to begin to do things like um, predictability of high fire days, Santa Ana winds, and provide that information that really was originally created for the use of the utility and to reduce their own liability. Um, that could have a major community impact. Here we built this incredible capacity for weather prediction um, without the city spending a dime, with the utility benefiting from that, and with now the people of our region safer because of those investments. Those types of projects are the ones that get me very excited and I think uh, help the public understand that uh, both government and utility can do major things to improve their lives and safety. Uh, wh- what do you think utilities need to rethink about in terms of their relationships with their cities and with their communities? Uh, assuming they need to at all, but if they do, what uh, what should they start to think about in terms of those relationships? Well, cities oftentimes are one of the top consumers in a jurisdictional boundary of energy from a utility. And so there's a customer relationship that exists there. I think oftentimes both the city and the utility don't think beyond that customer relationship. I'm also interested in the future, and I understand the security issues and concerns, of data and data sharing, of communications network sharing of the ability to um, more efficiently move information and data that can help the utility achieve its goals, but then also can uh, achieve civic priorities. If I look towards the future, I see the major areas of alignment coming down to how we uh, collectively use and share data and communications networks to create safer and more resilient communities. So when cities go to these events like ITRON Utility Week, uh, what are, what message are they hoping to impart and what are they hoping to get out of those kinds of experiences? 
getting waist deep in, in the energy conversation. Well, when I go to ITRON Utilities Week, uh, I'm hoping to convey that uh, our respective companies, agencies, utilities, municipal governments, community organizations uh, can look beyond um, their uh, world and see a world that has high-impact collaboration to achieve the goals of the people that we serve. I think that it is sharing that the traditional antagonistic relationships between business, city, utility, academia have to be whittled away at and broken down if we're going to be the leaders ushering in incredible uh, communities of the future. That folks like those that are helping to create some of these networks and communications tools that can really empower residents in their decision-making around energy and water, that those tools um, are a piece of impact in the community. It is a piece of creating a more sustainable um, city. It's a piece of reducing our footprint um, on this earth. And I understand that um, oftentimes we get stuck in our silos, but if we begin to think beyond that and how the technology that ITRON is developing is having real direct impacts in how we, how people behave and how they consume resources, uh, I, I think that's really exciting. And that utilities that are willing to invest in that are the ones that are empowering their customers to make good decisions. And that the city, in this particular case, benefits from all of that. We have a very aggressive climate action plan, and I'll tell you, rooftop solarization, the city doesn't put a single dime into it, but we have streamlined our processes to the point that that has is one of the fastest permits you can get in San Diego. So without spending a dime, San Diego is making real impacts on a sustainable future and reducing our GHG footprint. All of us have a piece of that, and it's time for uh, the traditional side-eye looks that sometimes have happened between these various agencies to get put away and align our priorities around doing real and good impactful work for our communities. I think that's, I think that's absolutely right. And uh, I like what you said about, um, you know, getting outside of just the energy bubble and figuring out, you know, how, Customer, how customers, how folks and communities, like how they consume everything and how they live their lives, because that can inform that can inform a lot. Uh, Aaron, you were you mentioned earlier about Shay's presentation and basically just lifting this directly from his presentation. But if you look at the way that people, you know, the way that that uh, other com- that companies are revolutionizing the way that we you know, buy things like even just gro- like groceries, the way that a, the way that a storefront looks now or the way it's going to look in five years, that affects the way that uh, a consumer views the, the way they purchase things, the way that they interact with the world and and the kind of customer service that they expect that they expect 
and they're engaged in a service, even if that service is a utility. So, yeah, I really, I really like what you're saying there about the idea of uh, getting getting outside of just the utility space when it comes to customer engagement, because you know customers do more with their lives than just consume energy. And when you look at what the other things that they the other things that they do, you know, in the public space and the way that they consume in general, it can actually uh, help you figure out what, you know, what your customers' goals are and how you can better align yourself with them. And let's not forget that the utility is usually a major employer in an area. They do a lot of job training work, workforce development. Oftentimes, the jobs at a utility are some of the well-paying and well-benefited jobs in in a city, in a region. As the uh, data analytics and technological world becomes more and more a part of managing a grid, then the types of talent and workforce that you need begins to change. And utilities are some of those on the front end of training and training programs and workforce development that are helping to create the workforce of the future, whether they work at the utility or whether they decide to work in a tech company or something else along those lines. So there's a lot of heft that a utility can bring to things that will benefit the utility and its workforce, but also help to developing and retaining the talent that is necessary for cities that want to support the innovation economy towards the future. And this often is lost on... um, on a lot of folks. And if you want a city that is preparing for, prepared for, and, and attracting and retaining the people that can power an innovation economy, the utility has to be a part of that. David, that's a, we've got, we've got a lot of insights here about, uh, about the community and the relationships between city and consumer and utility. But I guess you, you work, you, you work directly for, the mayor of San Diego. And so while I've got you on the horn, I don't know if you have any, but I would love if you could give me some insider info on what happened with the chargers, because I, because like, it it is such a weird, it's, it was such a weird situation where they kind of just, it seems like they just like up and left to a market that didn't want them. And everyone I know from San Diego loved the team. And so like, and it seemed like something might it was like maybe going to happen, but I don't know. Were the talks in bad faith, or was they just was Dean Spanos just asking for too much money? Uh, I'm I'm just not really sure what the what happened there. So when we were going to talk about charging and chargers, I didn't expect that we'd be talking about a football team. <laughs> but we come back to the the same misalignment of priorities, right, and not understanding the real needs of a community. Um, that's the, the the number one thing that I think as we think about pushing these sorts of things forward, um, that alignment of priorities needs to be critical. And uh, sometimes some of your uh, institutions don't get that. I like that you brought it back around. David, that was great. David, I have a question for you because one, one thing Dylan and I like to, to ask people Um, It's kind of how you got to where you are. And we normally ask energy professionals uh, because people in the energy industry, they don't typically, you know, 
grow up thinking I'm going to be an energy professional, but you're kind of in this position with the city where you're, you know, looking and working across all these different industries. Um, how did you kind of get to the position that you're in? And was there anything, um, is, was there anything in your career that has, you know, sparked a passion for you in particular in terms of, you know, some of the different areas that you work across in the city? Well, it's funny to think about the fact that when I was in college, the two internships that I had an opportunity to do were one, uh, with a radio station because I ran the college radio station, and two, with the mayor's office because I was president of the debate team. And at that point in my junior year, I swear to you, it was a 50-50 decision whether I was going to go use this great radio voice or if I was going to go work for a, a mayor uh, many years ago. And uh, I, I hate to say that it was a flip of a coin, but it was a pretty close to a flip of the coin. I interned for that mayor um, and uh, basically realized that I was very interested in local government. From there, worked at the county for a number of years in land use, energy and water and transportation policy private sector for a few years, mostly working local government, and then brought back uh, under a mayor several mayors ago, um, and have been at the city in multiple roles now in an operational role um, for uh, a few years here. The biggest thing that sparked me about this particular uh, topic and why I've gotten really invested in working with utilities and the Edison Electric Institute or in smart cities in general, is because I see that there is this awesome ability to achieve the things that at one point seemed like science fiction. Uh, they're now science fact. I was joking with a friend of mine yesterday about the Back to the Future 2 movie and all the things in there, including the Cubs winning a World Series, um, that seem to be far off in the future and ultimately have, have come about. That's uh, translating that into uh, actionable projects at my city and helping other cities see that, that the connections with technology vendors and with communications providers can really now do the things that you thought could never happen in a city, and helping... Um, be the person that can make the connections between the community, the elected officials, the utilities, the vendors, uh, to help understand our all of our respective goals and priorities and see where there's alignment for impactful change in neighborhoods is what gets me extremely excited. If you understand what the needs are of the respective groups, rather than talking at each other, against each other, beyond each other, once you can really understand expectations, values, and priorities, you can begin to connect the dots. And that's how we can transform these relationships that will create the neighborhoods that people want to live in. It sounds like that coin flip worked out for you. Uh, <laughs> well, although, with the current state of media, I, I think I probably did okay. Yeah, but I, although I will <laughs> I will say if you, you know, if you still want to, if you want, if you enjoy being involved in the space, uh, but you've also trying to utilize your radio voice, might I suggest getting into podcasting? Because that's, that's what I did. 
<laughs> I, I'm all about it. I'd be happy to launch a podcast. Yeah. Some... You do have a great radio voice. I was going to say I was going to say it before we started. So that's actually funny that that was something that you have done and, and pursued because you sound you do sound like someone who should be on radio. And then going back to what you were saying about, you know, being passionate and and trying to implement some of these changes that you can actually see come to fruition within your community. I really do think that's what's going to get younger people involved um, in in energy, in building the future of our communities is, is trying to explain, you know, if you are passionate about this right now, then now is the time to take action and start to, you know, help build the community that you want to live in in the future. So I think that's wonder, wonderful. And I applaud you for, you know, working or living out, you know, in your, in your work life, what you feel um, you're really passionate about. So that, that's awesome. Well, and we see that the the statistics about the millennial generation and their pivots towards volunteerism and community investment, uh, maybe they should invest a little bit more in houses. Uh, <laughs> we see the wealth generation being a little bit of a problem, but um, we've we've tried to open up and instead of just thinking that you can do change the world and working for a nonprofit, really open up the eyes of folks to say, well, either by engaging with our open data platform, developing apps, doing some community uh, work, there's things that you can do there, or come inside of the city and you can really have a major impact as well. Same goes for the utility. I mean, sdg is at 43% renewable pl um, portfolio right now. That's having a tangible impact on our neighborhood and on GHG. So there are uh, ways to have a major impact um, beyond volunteerism. I mean, we're also killing every industry, according to the profiles in the papers. Uh, <laughs> also, um, the the millennials aren't buying houses thing. Uh, I, I, I've seen I've seen a lot of uh, data on sides on in articles that suggest that that's something of a myth actually we actually yeah, are it, buying houses a lot of my friends it, it, just bought houses in fact yeah it, it's happening later what's happening is is that because that's part of my my world yes they are buying houses it's the question of whether they want to live in a single family home or not and in in most cases they do it's just happening a little bit later in life than than previous generations i did hear you scoff aaron but that's probably because you live in austin where housing prices are ridiculous it is and i i live and Austin is a very much, you know, it's a tech and innovation economy. People are moving around. They're here for a week. They're in Silicon Valley. They're in New York. They're, they're on the move all the time. And, yeah, not to mention pricing, uh, prices on houses is astronomical here. But it, it, it is. We move. I, and I'm one of those people. I, I couldn't imagine. I don't foresee myself buying a house in the next, you know, five to ten years, given, you know, how much I travel um, and, and my lifestyle, I, but I just think it's funny. I didn't, I didn't mean for my scoff to be audible. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think, uh, I think it was a, it was a welcome scoff to it. Cause it like, yeah, it, this is a, this is another podcast, but, uh, uh, housing rates are going up pretty much everywhere. Like in terms of how much they, in terms of how much it costs, but like 
in the urban areas, it's re, it's really, really spiking. And it, we're in a period right now where a lot of people who get out, of, who get out, especially when they get right out of college, want to, want to move to the, want to move to the city and, you know, start a business or work in, work in the tech sector. Cause that's, you know, that's where the money is. That's where the culture is. But it is important to remember that the millennial generation is not entirely college graduates in the tech sector. Um, there, mm-hmm. there are a lot of people who are just like, you know, they, you know, they got out, of, they got out of high school. They started, they went immediately into the workforce. Now they're making, now they're building families and buying houses and stuff. Anywho, uh, I think that's a pretty good place to leave it since we're, since we're now talking about millennials buying houses, like, well, like every other media outlet thing, in the world. Yeah. I mean, the mobility thing is very interesting because we're having to retune and think about our workforce and whereas in government, you'd be working 10, 20, 30 years, wanting to get that pension, we're trying to make it an inviting place for people to come work three, four, five years, knowing that they're likely going to want to move on to something else. And how can we give them the opportunity, train them, and get the best out of them during those few years when uh, fewer and fewer will be on a long-term track uh, at the city? I think it's going to be an interesting thing to keep an eye on uh, as as us millennials continue to age. So, uh, David, thank you very, very much for being on the podcast today. Well, it's been a real pleasure to be on the podcast. It was a fantastic discussion uh, and really insightful questions and responses. I will uh, say that uh, from here in sunny San Diego, you guys are doing great work, and I can't wait to get my... uh, sunburn in scottsdale during uh hytron utility week yeah uh so for people who are attending utility week in in scottsdale when is your uh, when is your talk that is a great question it's on october 2nd morning afternoon are you, do you know i believe the morning all right well keep an eye out for for david and keep an eye out for us we're going to be doing a live podcast recording on Monday the 1st at Utility Week. So come and say hi uh, to us. Uh, Aaron, thanks for being on. Of course, Dylan. Um, I loved having you know David on. It's always nice to have people you know, not necessarily in the energy industry, but heavily associated with it, working with utilities in innovative efforts to move communities forward. So just really grateful to have David on and, and have that, you know, city perspective um, of how things are really going. To find our research and media, go to etsinsights.com. You can find us on social media at zprime underscore research. You can find me at dy Lockwood and Aaron at Aaron underscore Hardick. Thank you to iTron for sponsoring the podcast this week. My name is Dylan and we'll see you all next time. 